0: So I got to the airport, because I'm going to Austin for South by Southwest, and I went into the Delta Lounge, very exciting, and uh, I got a call from my husband saying that our son fell at school and he has to go pick him up, and then find out that he like has his gash on his forehead, and it's deep enough that they have to go to the hospital to go get stitches. My son had to go get stitches. I, I, I mean... His first stitches, I hope never again, but I was at the airport going, Oh my God, what do I do? Do I leave? I felt so much guilt for not being there. I almost didn't order my second mimosa. That's just a joke. Of course. Oh my goodness. Of course. Of course. I don't drink mimosas. I go for straight Prosecco. He got three stitches, people. He's okay. Okay. Oh, my God. (laughs) But am I? Question mark? Stay tuned for Parenting is a Joke.
1: We're here to equip you with the tools you need to conquer life's challenges. Listen to Elevation with Stephen Furtick every Sunday and Friday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: I used to be chill. It's all up and slow. I think it's still fun. Pantings a joke. I was cool.
0: Hello, everybody. Welcome to Parenting is a Joke. It's me, Ophira Eisenberg. And on this show, we bring together creative and funny people to talk about their work, their career, what they're up to, and also what it's like to have kids thrown into the mix. Basically, how the fuck do they do it? In today's episode, I chat with comedian and actor Baron Vaughn about moving to Atlanta and his five-year-old son's comedic taste.
3: My oldest son is, unfortunately... Watching a slew of horrendous YouTubers, that's his standard for performance. That's his standard for funny. Yeah. He doesn't think I'm funny.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I would say most of my days with my seven-year-old are spent answering this question. Mom, can I have TV? Because we continue to have some light restrictions, which are sliding, and he knows them very well. But does that stop him from asking every single minute of every single day? No. And he thinks I had a sad life because I told him when I was a kid, there was no iPad. There was no YouTube. I even told him that when I was a kid, TV was boring because my parents just wanted to watch the news all the time and there was nothing we could do about it. And he wants to watch Unboxing videos, which I was like, no. And then I thought, wait a second, I'm pretty sure these were just called toy commercials (laughs) growing up, right? They were 45 seconds long. There was about five of them in between your shows. You would just sit there and watch some happy child opening and playing with a new toy that would attract all the other kids from the neighborhood. As a kid, I would watch those commercials and have a total meltdown because the stuff looks so shiny and amazing. I would beg my parents for whatever plastic-molded garbage was being showcased. So really, has anything changed? Although, we have not yet met the adults who had iPhones foisted into their stroller. So we'll see how this all works out, people. <sighs> I, uh, I get really worried about the world I'm raising my son in, and I talk to my therapist about it. She says, Ophira, little kids are so resilient. Little kids are so resilient. I'm like, cool. Then why am I talking to you every week about my childhood? Because not one of my stories ends with me going, and then I just bounce back. <laughs> not one. Uh, by the way, my therapist has been telling me for years now to consider antidepressants, and I haven't done it yet. I might. I might, for sure. But then I would have to leave my therapist because I can't let her think she won. Uh, and I don't mean to downplay any diagnosis or suffering, or depression, but I gotta tell you that I am hard-pressed to find anyone around me right now who isn't depressed and anxious. Also, everyone is sick around me again. And my poor husband, oh my god, he got hit bad with that cold. And after weeks, he's finally almost over it, except for a cough that makes you wince. So he scheduled an in-person day at his office But that same day, I had to do a recording and run a class, so I texted one of our babysitters. Yes, we have a suite of potentials. You know what? If I wasn't a mother, I would babysit or become a plumber. Those are the two most in-demand jobs in my neighborhood, and based on my skill set, I'm going to say I will probably go with plumber. I mean, at least I can use YouTube to help me. So I texted a sitter, and they wrote back, exciting, that they were available, but their boyfriend was sick and they were feeling iffy. So it was up to me. And I stared at my phone and thought, how do I write back something that sounds conflicted and concerned, but really just says, Iffy sounds like me on my best day. So slap on a fucking mask and I'll see what for. So yeah, we went forth with it, but after two and a half weeks of my husband sneezing, blowing his nose, and groaning all over the apartment, if that babysitter is the one that takes me and my son down, I am never going to forgive her. My guest today is comedian and actor Baron Vaughn. You know him from Grace and Frankie, and just a note here, he joined us virtually from Atlanta, but like I was just talking about, everyone is sick. The poor guy has been working the road and parenting two small kids, with a cold, we all know how rough that is. So you're going to hear that in his voice. But the one great thing about the virtual world is that no germs were passed around in this interview, unlike what happened with my babysitter.
1: Bean Dad, the dress, thirty to fifty feral hogs. If you knew what any of those were, you spend too much time online.
0: God. Drink as much tea as you want. We'll be nice and easy on you. So, you know, Baron, the last time I talked to you, mm-hmm. you had one child and one newborn, I'm pretty sure.
3: Ooh, wow. Okay. That, that's where I was?
0: Yeah, that's where you were. So, where, what are their ages and names now?
3: Uh, well, <laughs> thank you for time capsuling. Uh, their names are Savion and Jimon. Savion is five. Nice. And Jaiman is three.
0: Oh yeah, so you are getting plummeted with diseases. <laughs> yes, yes. Okay, a lot to cover. I know you from New York. Mm-hmm. Then you moved to L.A. Yeah, I honestly thought you were still in L.A.
3: You know, in some ways, I still am. Uh, <laughs> you know, psychologically and also emotionally. But no, we relocated to Georgia. Um, it, it's almost a year ago. Okay, so we're, we're we're coming up on a year anniversary. I mean, moving to Atlanta was a, a dream, um, and some circumstances happened in Los Angeles that exacerbated those dreams. Is that the right way to say that (laughs) those dreams got baited by the exas, (laughs) if I can say. And, uh, we ended up having to implement that dream a little earlier, which is actually okay. We found this amazing home, you know, Mm. and, uh, as I'm getting older, um, these nerves, oof, I'm a nervous wreck, and I aspire to be nervous parked. You know what I mean? Like nervous safely parked. <laughs> yeah.
0: So it's really dialed down the uh, day-to-day chaos of living.
3: Due to some revelations, ooh, did you hear that weird gurgle? You're thing? all good. That was the troll in my throat <laughs> asking me to pay a toll for this emotional truth before, before you speak. <laughs> You shall learn. <laughs> That's how you know this truth you've earned.
0: Even sick man, you've got it all going. Okay, what, what's the truth? I want now. I mean, like you've got me.
3: Okay, so it's just my youngest child is apparently on the autism spectrum. Okay, and we had attributed it to him being a pandemic baby, born right, right before the pandemic started, and. The earliest years of his life, essentially the most of his life, has been during a pandemic Yeah, inside, you know, and also being confused, as I assume a lot of parents have dealt with young children being like, why can't we go outside? There's a park. I know. There's a park right there. It's like, no. And um, regardless of all of that, like, you know, a child's early life before three, they're mostly inside anyway yes controlled spaces in some sort of way so we were like okay well we need to get these children to uh, learn how to be around other children you know so yes. finally it was kind of the time where we were like all right we can put our children in some kind of school and this is how we learned that our youngest is on the spectrum because school was not a situation that made him thrive mm-hmm. in any sort of way like it was very he was very not communicating not being around not socializing with other children and uh you know so we're still like waiting for other tests and assessments i guess sure but in this investigation it comes to pass that guess who else might be on the spectrum this guy <laughs> <laughs>
0: You know, there was just none of these assessments of this level when we were kids.
3: I think one of the biggest things that parenting brings into focus is one's own childhood. Of course. I know. The whole phrase, I'm turning into my mother. That's what that's all about. (laughs) Right. I'm saying the things that were said to me. Yeah. Or in my case, I'm doing things that I never experienced. I had a very, for lack of a better word. Yeah. For the most diplomatic way of saying it tumultuous childhood right and now this idea of oh I may have been on the spectrum the entire time you know and I just thought uh you know I was a punk that's, that's right that's, that's what they said you were called a punk I was just yeah. told I was a weak reader
0: Weak. <laughs> weak. <laughs> so I mean seriously was the move motivated by that you were like LA does not feel like a, a a really like supportive environment
3: as I have gotten older and this is something that I that I am discovering is apparently something about like adult autism my senses have gotten so much more sensitive and there's something about the I, I feel mm-hmm. the energy of a city not just like you know how some people are like I'm an empath. I used to I, I found, I was like, oh man, I might be an empath. And I didn't, I just couldn't say it because I just couldn't not hear like, right. I'm an empath.
0: Right, exactly.
3: I'm an empath. You can see that path right there. It's in the shape. <laughs> what shape is that? It's a capital letter. Okay, I'm going on a tangent. It's like, I feel the city, the energy of mm-hmm. Los Angeles. And it, and I was like, I can't be here anymore. You know, just... For my own well-being, yes. but also from the perspective of looking at my own childhood, I didn't ever feel rooted as a kid. Like, there was never a point that I felt settled, you know, mm-hmm. that I lived somewhere. Even though I was in a specific city for a long time, we moved around a lot in that city. And it was Las Vegas, which I don't think, you know, when I was growing up in Las Vegas, it didn't have any um, personality.
0: Was there the Bellagio Fountain?
3: Bellagio, I, I remember when that opened, yeah.
0: <laughs> They're thinking of closing it down, which is crazy, but yeah. Are they really? Yeah, because it's such a
3: huge waste of water. Wait, wait, wait. Are you saying Yeah. a gaudy casino <laughs> in Las Vegas <laughs> that opened up a giant fountain show before the hotel was opened up? is wasteful i can't it's hard to believe fat okay no vegas is a weird place
0: (laughs) i mean i can't imagine growing up there so continue i want to hear from your perspective what it was like
3: i went to something that was called a sixth grade center vegas until the 2008 sort of economic downturn was the fastest growing city in the united states for like two decades and when i was 11 this insane cloud of 11-year-olds must have descended on Vegas (laughs) and the infrastructure of the city was not ready. And Vegas was like, "What? we don't have enough schools. Wow. For these kids. We're going to have to open up old schools (laughs) (laughs) and call them sixth grade centers.
0: Yeah, I I don't even know what that phrase means, sixth grade
3: center. It means it was a full school. Think of a high school, right? And how many people are in a high school? Yeah. Now imagine it's only <gasps> no. sixth graders.
0: Like twenty-five sixth grade classes.
3: I'm talking about three to five thousand sixth graders. Oh in my
0: place. god, that sounds like a, a lot. What happens after sixth grade? Was there a seventh grade center?
3: By the time I was in seventh grade, I guess that maybe they had built enough schools. Or... <laughs> like we're, we're on it. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't, I don't. They came up with a different solution. Um, So I ended up going to a school that I I could walk to for seventh and eighth grade. Oh,
0: nice. Idyllic. Yeah. When did you leave? Because I know that that you were born in New Mexico, right? Yeah.
3: I was born in the desert and I grew up in the desert, different deserts, but the desert nonetheless.
0: you I know you went to uh, BU for acting.
3: Yes. I went to a performing arts high school in Las Vegas. Okay. And then got serious about, oh, you can train... Like being like being an athlete, you can train to have a certain skill set that'll put you as a baseline above most people. That was my theory, right? And so I was like, th- perhaps I could try theater school.
0: So theater in high school, mm-hmm. BU for acting. Were you mm-hmm. were you thinking like you were going to be like a um, Shakespearean actor? <laughs>
3: I don't know what I thought, you know, like, I didn't think I was gonna be a Shakespearean actor as much as I thought I needed to know how to handle it, you know. Um, Right. And I do have an unhealthy obsession with it, because I feel like there's still something about, like, Shakespeare that is the Olympics, if you will, of acting, where it's like every skill set that you have, it's the decathlon, everything that you can do is going to have to be employed to the
0: fullest I will say that I saw Hamlet with Rylance.
3: Mark Rylance. Supposed to be one of the greatest.
0: I felt like I was watching it and listening to it in my vernacular. I have never mm-hmm. seen an actor use those lines and that the iambic pentameter in a way that was unbelievably, I guess, accessible, for lack of a better word.
3: You might like this, Ophira. The last time I got to... Perform shakespeare I got to work with this dude named miles anderson uh-huh. fascinating gentleman he was born in rhodesia okay, okay. it's not called that anymore it's that's, that's how long ago he was born he said to me you know a lot of the modern ways that we act don't apply to shakespeare it's not the way that people applied acting that back then and the thing that we have today that is probably the closest to what acting in shakespeare's time is uh, stand-up comedy.
0: No. You just made stand-up comedy highbrow.
3: <laughs> I would also submit acapella battle
0: rap. All right. It's a little less cool, but I'm with you.
3: It, no, no, no. <laughs> it's it's interesting when you watch two people battle rap and there's no music. Oh, yeah. It's just about the turn a phrase. It's about your language's music. One of my favorite things about you as a comedian is the way that you can turn a phrase. And, you know, that's what yes. we all aspire to do is to flip a thing on its head. And we also, as comedians, have some sort of hopefully healthy competition with each other. Yeah. Especially when you have what is known as a home club, which I believe you have. You see everyone there. You know everyone there. You inspire other people. People inspire you. There's a kind of a back and forth of you see someone that you like and you go, damn, I need to write. I need to oh yeah. I need to it's the so greatest And you also want to go up there sometimes after someone who's murdered and be like, yeah, me too. I can do this. I'm here. And I think that there was that kind of competition on stage amongst actors at Shakespeare's time. Because a lot of these people were like town personalities between plays. They sang songs and told stories at the damn bar. It's like <laughs> Shakespeare's like, all right, I got a role for you. Thank God. <laughs> if I have to give another hand in the alley. And so, <laughs> you know...
0: So, you know, now for you specifically, because we were just talking about Shakespeare and you're like, oh, I love it, but that wasn't my goal. I know you from stand-up comedy. How or why, other than just pure accessibility of an audience, did you decide that, you know what, I also want to do this?
3: I've sometimes said that, like, I came to theater because I always wanted to be a stand-up comedian. Mm. I just didn't know that that's what it was. You know, when I was growing up, when I was watching TV, the people that I admired, one of which I got to be on a TV show with, Lily Tomlin, yeah. were, like, sole performers, you know? It was Tomlin, it was, you know, Richard Pryor, Steve Martin, you know, even Carol Burnett. Carol Burnett, I wouldn't say is, like, a stand-up, but it's like, you know, she would start her show with a monologue. And oh, just yeah. Like I, I watched that show in the family room all the time. SNL was the thing that made me go. Theater is the closest thing that I had seen to sketch at the time. You know, right. and I was like, people on stage saying things, that's the same. Do, do, diddly, do. That's me, that's me floating <laughs> towards it on the power of intention. And so that's kind of what brought me to theater. And then when I was in school in Boston at Boston University, doing all this kind of theater training, two friends had serendipitous things happen. One who had taken a comedy class with Lewis Black. Oh, in- yeah. The Williamstown Theater Festival. Back in the day, at least, I don't know if he does this anymore. During the summer, um, he would just do comedy classes because he would say that he believed that, like, it's like, you know, we're supposed to pass it on. And so a friend of mine took a class, came back to Boston, was like telling me about it. And um, the first lesson was tell a story, tell a funny story. Tell a funny story. I'm like, oh, I can tell a funny story and I can make it really theatrical. Like, I can make this little piece of thing and stretch it out. And all, play all of the characters in between it, inside of it, like all of the heroes that I had watched doing stand-up. Can you hear a child?
0: Oh, <laughs> was that <laughs> the a child, child, like, running. jumping on something?
3: I hear a child now going, oh, yeah sleep. sleep, perfect. No
0: sleep no longer. All right, wrap it up. <laughs> wrap up the interview. The no. children are awake.
3: No, no, no. Luckily, I'm not home alone.
0: When I met you in New York, you know, I think that your performance level on stage just surpassed. Most of us, uh, there was just a lot of people oh, at the time nice. standing on stage, very low key, saying words into a microphone. No one was sure if like performing was okay, and then it started mm-hmm. to come back. Well, it was just a weird time to do comedy too, because everyone hated comedy.
3: <laughs> it was like the if I could be a comedy nerd, it was almost like the the ebb of the quote unquote second wave of alt comedy. Yeah. That's right. It was almost sort of anti-performance. Was it was the performance almost method.
0: anti-performance.
3: Yeah. And then I hear old school comics talk about things that don't didn't exist in our day. I heard Larry Wilmore use the phrase, a writer's comic, that he was a writer's comedian. And I guess that's something from the 80s mm. that meant you're a person with really funny ideas that don't go into a perspective a stand-up comedian has a perspective
0: right their opinions sharp opinion on something
3: but if you're just doing anything that you think is funny you're a writer
0: interesting our goal was to be the comics comic the one that Mm -hmm. was not making the crowd laugh was making the two people standing at the back who are comics or comedy adjacent laugh which really is just shooting yourself
3: (laughs) in the foot as far as getting work this is gonna i'm gonna say this really cornily (laughs) Because I feel like this ties into parenting yeah. sort of a way. You know, you're around a group of people that you want to impress. You know, and I feel like...
0: (laughs) I (laughs) heard that! That was a sound of feet. Hilarious.
3: Yes, the pitter-patter of not so little. For me, at least, it has translated to wanting to impress my children. Especially my oldest son, who is unfortunately watching a slew of horrendous youtubers Oof. sorry if I'm offending anybody <laughs> that um from you know all around the world that are equally bad <laughs> that they they um don't know how to perform you know it's almost like a they're the, the performance is that I'm just playing this game you're watching me play this game yep and so, that's his standard for performance. That's his standard for funny. Yeah, he doesn't think I'm funny.
0: <laughs> well, not yet. You're the dad. Do you see
3: how big my eyes? Uh, yeah, are? Yeah, I've how never how
0: seen bigger saucers. Oh, uh, you know, so
3: bringing up stuff.
1: <laughs> Bean Dad, the dress. Listen to 16th Minute of Fame on the iHeartRadio app,
2: Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby Award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light,
3: and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy.
2: I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy.
0: Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. You made a really great and very personal documentary called Fatherless, which was about your decision to look for your own birth father. Why all of a sudden did you decide to do this as a documentary?
3: Okay, I'll tell you the I'll tell you the surface reason first. Great. And then I'll tell you the subtextual reason second.
0: I, I love I love that.
3: Well, at the time there was a network I'm not even sure if it exists anymore called Fusion. Yes. And I got to meet with a couple of uh, really great people over there, and uh, they were telling me we're trying to make miniature documentaries that are like. 30 for 30s, but about some social issue and from the perspective of a comedian. And they're like, if you have an idea like that, you know, let us know. And I said, yeah, I got an idea. Where's my dad? That's that's literally what I said, you know, and they're like, huh? And I'm like, (laughs) I've never known this man. Uh Um, I've never been interested in meeting him. Um, Yet everybody around me believes it is one of the things that has informed me about who I am. And there are a lot of social perceptions that I've always been either offended by or felt even cowed by. Like, I was supposed to be like, I'm a black man who did, who grew up without a father. Therefore, I must be X, Y, and Z, according right. the to the label. news. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I felt like none of those labels really fit me. And yet some of them do and some of them don't. But what are the actual facts,
0: if that's your junket answer, I can't believe there's another one.
3: Here's the other one.
0: Yeah, do it. No, me, 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 me. It's all about me. <laughs> Actually, okay. your voice is, you know, as they say, the best way to keep a voice going is to use it. So there you go.
3: <laughs> okay, Julie <laughs> Andrews. Uh, yeah, so the subtextual reason is I would never do this on my own. And so I created a ticking bomb for myself somebody who I sold an idea to that was going to be like, we need it by this day to make myself go through this experience that I believed wholeheartedly at the time believed mistakenly that I was not actually interested in meeting this person and knowing this person that it was not necessarily significant to me went to Albuquerque, New Mexico, And uh, (laughs) I went and uh, met my father. And are you still in touch? We are. We are. It's actually like um, a strange thing because I now have both my parents, which I've never had in my life. But they have no relationship with each other at all. Right. They have not spoken since before I was born. And they don't anticipate on doing such a thing. So in a sense, it's like I have a very private relationship with my mother and a very private relationship with my father that that don't overlap in any sort of way. It's not even like, oh, I grew up with them and they got divorced. They were never together. Does your father have a desire to father you? He does, you know, but he also luckily understands that he was not there. Right. He also (laughs) understands that, you know, there's a lot of catching up. We've discussed discussing it. You know, like two straights. We've <laughs> talked about talking about it, but haven't yet talked about it. That's where that is, but I'm happy that it's on the table.
0: Yeah. Has your dad met your kids?
3: He has. Okay. Yes.
0: And how do they and refer to him?
3: They call him Opa. That's what he asked to be. Okay. Called. It's interesting. Like they have a, again, <laughs> a separate but equal, uh oh, is that the right <laughs> phrase? Relationship with their grandfather and their grandmother. Yeah, When they get older and they're like, uh, uh, I'm going to be like, sit down, son. <laughs> time to do a tight 15 until daddy grew up. <laughs> you know.
0: So you've you've recently finished seven seasons of the TV show Grace and Frankie. Moved to Atlanta. I feel like these things kind of happened all around the same time. Are you working on television? Are you taking a pause? Are you interested in getting back to theater? I know you're doing stand-up dates.
3: It's all of the above, I'm going back on the road, you know um uh, hopefully sounding a little bit better than this, but even <laughs> if I don't, like there is something to this voice, like this is going to, and I have done a few sets here in Atlanta uh, with this voice um <laughs> you know, as we say in the theater, use it, so yeah. like, I'm going to it's gonna be it's gonna bring something else out of me. <laughs>
0: Oh my goodness. Thank you, Baron. And thank you for doing this even with your um, kids awake above you.
3: Thank you, Ophira.
0: You can watch Baron on seven seasons of Grace and Frankie, and you can follow him at Bar Von Black. B A R V O N B L A Q. That's our show. Thank you so much for listening. And thank you so, so much for your great reviews. It matters so much. And it means so much to me because until we do live shows and I meet you face to face, this is how I get feedback on our show. So tell a friend or an acquaintance about our podcast. More listeners means more episodes in the future. Follow us on Instagram, TikTok, Facebook at Parenting is a Joke. Twitter at Parenting Joke, and hey, guess what? We have a monthly newsletter. Go to our website, parentingisajokepod.com, to sign up. You can follow me on the socials at Ophira E. If you're in New York, come see me at Gotham Comedy Club on Thursday, March 16th. And if you're in Fort Lauderdale in Florida, why wouldn't you be? You can come see me at the Boca Black Box for two shows on Saturday, March 18th. Just go to my website, OfiraEisenberg.com. Our episode is produced by me and Julie smith Clem. Our editor is Nina Porzuki. Our sound designer is Tina Toby mack Our theme song and music is by Adira Amram and The Experience. Special thanks to all of the engineers at Brooklyn Podcasting Studio. And I'll leave you today with our editor, Nina, who is getting... Pretty creative with her son on day three of being home and sick. Welcome to the... Welcome to the sick So. <laughs> <coughs> I'm your
1: host, Nina, and I'm here with my co-host. His name is...
2: Boris.
0: And we are both...
2: Mommy's sick and I'm blowing up.
0: Yeah. And I don't feel good. Aww. The word of today's episode is called symptoms. Do you know what that means, Boris? No. It means the things that um, you're feeling when you're sick. Yeah. So, do you have a headache? I'm getting it. And a stuffy nose. And you're throwing up? I'm throwing up. And you have poop. And I poop. Hmm. I think it's time to take... A nap break. What do you think?
2: I love you.